Hey everyone, welcome back to Garden State of Hockey. My name is Dan Rosell and I'm joined by John Fisher. How's it going, John? It's going well. The offseason has not blown up. Yes, so far so good. We talked about that last time and speaking of last time, a lot of you guys took our, I guess, not really so much a plea, more so our task to heart in the fan outreach portion of this podcast. That's a very important part to how All About the Jersey works, the fan interaction, and to how this podcast will work. And you guys did not disappoint. There's a lot of great questions that came in both on the post and via email. So this episode, we're going to look to tackle some of those to continue to bring us through those summer dog days, as you will. After all, Ray Shero didn't sign Pavel Zaki yet, so there's literally nothing to talk about unless you really care about the 2020 draft class. Yeah, the one new news item that went on the Devils' official site, I think, was about Will Butcher getting married and signing his new contract. Woo. There you go. So, <laughs> classic hockey talk, you know, off-season, yep. off-season wedding season all over the Instagram. And Oh, Connor Carrick had a documentary about how he prepares in the off-season. He calls it consistency. I really hope... That will not be a name that will bite him uh, a couple months from now. We shall see. Consistency, Carrick. Consistency. I hope it's consistently good. (laughs) Yeah, and there's no reason to believe that that kind of workout won't lead to something good. But if he's good, it's only a bonus for us. Absolutely. And so without further ado, we'll launch right into the question and answer portion of this podcast specifically and again we had a lot of great questions come in so we may not get to all of them but don't worry we see them we love the interaction keep them coming and if we don't get to yours today that just means we have some other episode in mind where we might be able to integrate it more naturally or associate it with the topic that we choose to cover that episode is that fair that's fair all right so we'll start us off with this very popular topic among the devil's faithful and It's something that I know a lot of people are freaking out about. It's something that has been a topic of discussion since basically Taylor Hall arrived here, and that is that his contract was too good to be true. His contract was at $6 million AAV per year, or a little above that. I'm not positive. It's it's $6 million straight up cap hit. Perfect. So it was $6 million, and it was a bargain as he went on, as we all know, to win the MVP. So as we come to the end of that contract, he's the beating heart of this team, or was the beating heart of this team until the core fundamentally changed. But it leads to some very fair questions about his contract. And the one that spurs this discussion is from Tyler Mayberry, and he writes in, My question for the next episode, why am I the only person that wants Taylor Hall traded now? He could easily get injured again and be out most, if not all, of the season. If that happens, who is going to trade New Jersey anything for a guy on the IR in his final year of his contract? We could easily end up losing Hall for nothing. He continues on, everyone has this attitude of Shiro can always trade him at the deadline. Not if he's injured at the time. Why take that gamble? Why even put up with the team distraction of a star player deciding on re-signing or not? Even if he re-signs, it will be on an eight-year deal. He'll be 28 in November. He won't be worth his contract at age 36. How many years before 36 will he also not be worth his cap hit? I'm not interested in giving him an eight-year deal when he'll only be worthwhile for the first four years of it. Now, in essence, you know, he goes on to say a little more about what kind of haul Hall can bring in. Yeah, that's going to be an interesting sentence to continue on. But there's a lot to unpack here, so let's go point by point. Let's start with, 
why is he the only person that wants Taylor Hall traded now? And my answer to that would be, you're probably not. So, John, what's your take on this situation? Just starting from the 10,000-foot overview of, should Taylor Hall be traded now? Let, let me take 10,000 feet further up in the air. Let's go. Let's take a 20,000-foot view here. Perfect. Who is the best player on the team right now? The former MVP. Correct. This team was terrible last season. They finished 29th after a terrible season filled with terrible goaltending, terrible injury luck, and a whole lot of not good hockey in between. Despite all that, Mr. Hall provided 37 points out of 33 games. I put it to you that it is safe to assume that if the Devils are going to somehow gain 30 points in the standings to have a shot at making the playoffs, you need Taylor Hall to play. So, that being said, that's your number one reason why you should not trade him right now. Because as much as Nico Heischer is a top-tier guy, as much as Jack Hughes could be the future superstar of the team, as much as people are excited about Nikita Gusev and what he could do, and that there's more talent on the team, and P.K. Subin's in the back, the fact of the matter is Taylor Hall is still going to be driving this bus. So trading him now might as well be a white flag to say, we're punting this season as well, sign up for season tickets, and hope and pray we hit big in the lottery for another year. Not going to lie to you, Dan, I don't think many people would sign up for that. No, not at all, and especially people like Nikita Gusev. Oh, he, yeah. If there was any sort of intention to wave the white flag, as you said, I don't think Gusev signs that contract. And this is the kind of thing where if the Devils have had had, had the offseason that they had last year, then maybe we're looking at this and saying, okay, maybe it makes more sense. Even though with a healthy haul, who knows what could have happened last year, both from a morale and a hockey perspective, mostly the hockey perspective, of course, but he is a leader in the locker room as well. And he, I mean, all indications say that he loves being around the team. He has a lot of players that it seems that he's become close to. This is, again... I don't talk to these guys on a daily basis, but there's no reason to believe that he's not having a good time here in general. He's going right. to have a lot of a better time when they've built this team around him. And again, this is a different angle if they don't win the lottery, they don't get Jack Hughes, they don't manage to trade for P.K. Subban, they don't sign Gusev. This is a conversation that's more substantiated at that point because now people are talking about them as if they have a legitimate shot to make the playoffs, and it feels like they do. There's no way they're, I mean, this is just jinxing it, but there's no way they're as injury-plagued as they were last year. But even if they are, they have the depth to sustain past that now. They didn't when this offseason started, and that's basically the key difference that is the pivot point of trading Hall now as opposed to at the deadline when it looks like one way or another the team will be settled into whether or not he should walk away at the end of this year for a contender or he believes enough in what they've built and the results are manifested on the ice. Uh, I don't want to disrespect Tyler here because his point's well taken and he is indeed not the only Devils fan who feels this way. However, I don't put a lot of stock into the distraction talk, partially because if you follow football in any sense of the word, the word distraction is thrown around so much, it's basically like a nonsense word at this point. You, you just tune it out. You know, anything can be a distraction. It's like momentum in hockey. Oh, he threw a big hit. Oh, he had a fight. Oh, he scored a goal. The momentum has changed five or seven, five, five or seven times in this middle of this shift. At that point, it's basically like it doesn't mean that much. 
So I, I'm not super concerned about distractions. I mean, everybody in pro hockey knows it's a business. Everyone's got to take care of their business. And for the purposes of Hall, it's in his best interest to play as well as possible, whether or not he wants to get that money from New Jersey or from somebody else entirely. So I'm not super concerned about this uh, lack of extension hindering Hall or hindering the Devils in that sense. Um, it would be a different story if Hall was making a lot of noise, going to in- social media and complaining, throwing little hints here and there about wanting to go away. But he's not doing any of that, so I'm not really concerned about that. That being said, if you want to also get the most out of Taylor Hall, remember, Taylor Hall wants to be playing for a contender. He wants success, Dan. The guy, the teams that have success on their minds, the Tampa Bays and so forth, they don't have room for Taylor Hall right now. But they might have room for Taylor Hall in February of 2020. And that's the big reason why – that's the other big reason why you wait to make that trade if possible since te- more teams are going to be available to have the cap hit. And then as, a, as the Devils, it becomes less of, okay, Taylor Hall wants out and we have no leverage. Now all of a sudden you have a little leverage and maybe you can swing a little better of a return. It's not going to be a great return. It's never going to match whatever Taylor Hall is uh, worth. But it will be a little bit better than what they could have done if they tried to trade him in September. The larger the larger answer to the question is, you know, these are the reasons why I don't think you trade him now. I don't think it's going to be that big of a distraction. I don't think it's going to be that big of an effect on the team. And you would only trade him at the trade deadline. Is it either if Hall says, I want out, I don't believe in this, or the, the season is so bad that you just know that Hall is going to be walking away in July? If you're looking to be as risk averse as possible, if the season's going poorly, but he hasn't said anything, you still move him at the deadline. But right now it's too early. Right now they're on a wave of they could contend for a playoff spot. And the other point on him being very injury prone, I don't think you should enter any season with the mentality of, oh, this guy's definitely going to get injured again. I think that is a fallacy in the sense that you... First of all, you never want to bank on an injury happening. You don't want to guarantee an injury. And second of all, he's had all offseason to recover. He's had all offseason and most of last season. And it seems they finally found whatever was going on in his knee. Am I worried about it? Absolutely, I'm worried about it. Because, yeah, you should be. Right. We saw what happens when he doesn't play for this team. They are not good. And I think even having only played 33 games, he still had, what, like fourth most points on the team? Yeah. despite missing over half the season, he still finished in the top five in points. So how can you want to trade this guy? Yeah, exactly. And that goes back to why I said at the very beginning, let's take a step back further. Who's the best player on this team? It's not Jack Hughes yet. It's not Nico Heischer. It's not, you know, anyone else. It's Taylor Hall. And if you want to contend, you keep Taylor Hall. Simple as. Well, that, that rolls into the next part entirely. So this whole concept of him being on the IR potentially by the time the deadline rolls around, just even disregarding that other point of you don't want to bank on injuries happening, teams will take a flyer on this guy, even if he's on the IR. Maybe it's not a contender then that trades for him, but someone who thinks that they have a legitimate shot to re-sign him, a la Brooklyn Nets signing Kevin Durant this offseason. They know for a fact he's not going to play for them this year. But they have him in tow for next year, and that's not a bad asset to have. That's something that could interest and actually expand the pool of teams willing to trade for Hall at the deadline if they think that there's a reasonable shot that he resigns with them. 
Or better yet, if they have a belief that he could return in time for the playoffs. Right. Now, tra- granted, I think the rule in the NHL is that you ha- all all parties have to agree. Like you can't just say, "Oh, I'm going to trade for this guy on the IR." You know that you don't want to play dirty pool and say, "Oh man, we just traded assets for a guy who can't play for us." Like there has to be an understanding of agreement here, and that's a big reason why teams typically don't do that. But I can see a team looking to the future to say, look, if we have to give up a second round pick and a marginal prospect just to get Taylor Hall's rights to be able to talk to him before the UFA uh, talking period in late June, before July 1st, I think a team would actually consider it. They may not actually do it, but they're not going to hang up the phone. Right. We'll say that much. You would never hang up the phone when Taylor Hall's on the other end of it. Exactly. We're not talking about Marcus Johansson. We're talking about Taylor Hall, a former MVP of the league. Right. And so that rolls right into him re-signing on an eight-year deal. Even though he's 28 years old now, he's still one of the best wingers in the league. This is a this is a tier of player that you talk about all these lengthy contracts. You talk about unsustainable large cap hits. He's in that tier of players that it doesn't matter really what the price tag is like maybe don't pay 13 million but at a price let's say 10 and a half 11 for eight years that's something that's worth for the emotional center of the team he represents much more than just his play on the ice since he's come to the devils he's become a prominent voice in the locker room he's Heinz's go-to guy they have a great relationship he has a great relationship with other management the fans love him he represents a lot more than his play will be by the time he's 36 and it's not like you're precluded from trading him at any point during that contract either yes he might be less valuable at that point and less you know they'll have to retain a lot of salary potentially to move him if it does come down to that but i think it's worth that for this guy specifically he's just in that upper level of players that you say listen i get all the analytics about player prime and i get that he is someone who has a history of injuries all that doesn't really matter to me and this might just be my personal opinion but i think he's worth no matter what the price tag is well actually i agree with more with tyler's concern on this point Mm. because as we're learning now, no, the Devils are no longer going to be this team that's going to have $13 million in cap space or going to have the most cap space in the league throughout most of the season or anything like that. With all the moves that they made now and the eventual not, not the eventual extensions to guys like Brat, Mackenzie Blackwood, Heischer, eventually Hughes in the distance. All these yeah. guys are going to cost real uh, – Ty Smith, thank you. They're going to cost real money. Like you're not going to re-sign these guys for just two million for a couple years. You're going to sign them to some pretty hefty deals. It's very possible that an eight-year, ten million or eleven million dollar deal to Hall really throws a wrench into those plans. This is where Shero needs to start thinking long-term about the cap management. Now, a lot of this can be mitigated if Hall is willing to say, "I'm willing to do six years for ten million. I'm willing to do five or even seven. Maybe you have to pay a little more to do that, but." the length would not be as long because given that he he has a significant injury history and he does let's be real and the fact is yeah he's a top tier winger now but the question is is he going to be a top tier winger at 35 and then you're going to pay him like he's a top tier winger that's where things get really wonky but you're right you can always make moves to get out of the deal 
the other big concern is that a lot of these contracts tend to have no trade clauses or no movement clauses. So it's not always so easy to make those trades, but it's possible. People waive them. We've learned that. It happened to the Devils. Happened with Jamie Langenbrenner back in the day. Nevertheless, I get concerned about potential contract extensions. I wouldn't hand this guy $80 million, carte blanche, call it a day, and, and move on. But I'm fully prepared for that to be the case. And to a degree, I get it. He's representative of the team's rise, or what we hope will be the actual rise of the team, from rebuild to actually being a contender again. We hope that he'll be a top-tier player. He'll definitely be a marquee player for the Devils for the next several years. We'll see. But I but I share some of the concerns that Tyler and others have about giving this guy an eight-year contract for a substantial amount of money. He was one of the first first overall players selected to play for New Jersey. This whole slogan of we are the ones all started with him, at least this iteration of the team. You then add in Nico, you add in Jack Hughes, and I get where the slogan comes from. But Hall, you're right, he represents that rise and I think for a team that's missed the playoffs as often as they have in the last few years, long-term cap management should not be as much of a concern as strike while the iron's hot, while you have all these guys on entry-level deals. Make sure that, while I don't believe it will be a distraction, make sure that that's not a talking point around the locker room. That's not something that they have to be concerned with, at least these next few years, while they have all these guys at a premium. Right. Again, if if we're if Hall's willing to do a five year deal and he and he says, I want eleven million dollars per year to make it five years or even twelve million, I'd rather do that than eighty over ten. I'm sorry, eighty over eight. A shorter term would probably be the most beneficial. And to Hall. So in case maybe things don't work out in the future, he's still able to go out there, hit the market, get real money, and play for wherever he wants to play for. You know, I, I that's how I would sell it, but I also understand that from his standpoint and his agent standpoint, it's really hard to say no to a say no to a to the prospect of an eighty million dollar or an eighty eight million dollar deal. No, of course. You want to maximize the money that you earn while you're in your athletic prime. That's I no one would blame him for trying to go for that big deal all at once. Yeah. So we'll see how that goes, but I think we're not going to learn anything about the situation until the team hits the ice and they feel out how they're going to play together, how the results go. I think that first two months of the season are going to be very important. Maybe, you know, it's a cliche, but let's say American Thanksgiving would be a good gauge for him to be like, am I invested in the future here or do I think I have a better chance to consistently make the playoffs elsewhere. And that's something that we can't know now. We can hope for the best, but that's that's where I would guess the next conversation would be if they don't get something done by the start of this season. Is that reasonable? I would say so. Thanksgiving is a nice little break in the season. It's long enough to determine how the team is going. You still have enough time if things need to change. You, ha- you can do that. You get yourself some leeway at Thanksgiving. I think that's appropriate. And the last point here is that the haul for him right now would be better than at the deadline. I can see where that's coming from, but I also think anyone looking for a rental piece like Taylor Hall is going to give up so much for him. And we have not seen Ray Shiro really lose a trade. We haven't. We've seen him win massively or 
you know, it's a wash or maybe a marginal loss for something like a Dalton Prout trade. But it at the end of the day, when it's an asset this important, Ray consistently delivers. The hard part is that, again, as I said earlier, right now, the teams that would be contending, the teams that Taylor would probably want to go to to make the playoffs and be sure of it, they don't really have a lot of cap space. They're not going to be able to add a $6 million player. The way the cap works is that you get paid every day. So every every day you have a salary cap ceiling to meet. It's not just like you met it in, on September 15th and then you're set for the rest of the season. You have to stay under it every day. And that's why call-ups and things like that are really a big problem for teams that are right up against the cap ceiling. You know, you can't call up the guy from the AHL that you want because he may make too much money. It, it's simple as that. But that what that means is that as the season goes on, the teams that were previously a couple million under the ceiling suddenly – Taylor Hall is not a $6 million player, but as the season goes on, he's closer to a $3 million player or a $2.5 million player. And as such, those teams can suddenly say, oh, we can actually put this guy and still meet the cap. So that's how that would really work. And that's a big reason why I keep saying if you're going to make the trade, you got to do it for for everyone's benefit. You got to do it by the trade deadline because by the time that happens, either you know he's not going to resign or you know you're not going to make it and therefore he's not going to resign. So what's the best way to maximize whatever little leverage that you have? You got to make sure there's enough teams and enough potential uh, trade partners. And when's that going to happen? It's going to happen more in February than it is in November or September. Yeah, agreed. There's just a wider pool of assets that are in play. It's a different conversation that you're having at that point in the season. And who knows? They might turn around and use him as their own rental. I don't like that concept in general. No, I don't like it either. I don't like it. At any point, but it is something that is a possibility and something to consider if they're close to the picture. I think the worst spot to be in would be hovering right around the bubble because there's a lot of uncertainty there. Do you push to go all in at the risk of losing a bunch of assets like the Blue Jackets? Or do you say, all right, we're going to punt this season. We still have most of our core on an entry-level deal. Let's try to trade him anyway. But that just kind of leaves a bitter taste in the fans' mouth. And, of course, it doesn't matter what we think. That's something that is a conversation between the management, between Shiro, between Taylor Hall. That's something that requires a lot more patience. And we've been sitting through a pretty long rebuild as a fan base But it's hard to argue with that logic if they're only hovering around the bubble and not looking like they're going to comfortably secure at least a wild card spot. Well, look at it this way, Dan. The last time the Devils made the playoffs, they made it by one point. They were the last team to get in. They needed game number 81. They needed to win that game. And in retrospect, all the other wins and, and overtime points, shootout losses and so forth... All those points mattered. All those extra points you picked up in October, November, December ended up mattering a whole lot. So I'm a big believer that if you're on the bubble, don't give up. That should be the lesson. If you're going to pull a lesson out of the St. Louis Blues winning the cup right. and the Columbus Blue Jackets finally making a playoffs and, and winning a series and winning a series time. for the first time, go for it. You're not necessarily jobs in the NHL are not very long. This is a sport filled with randomness. Shoot your shot because you're not all you're not guaranteed to get another shot. For all we know, if the Devils punt this season and they trade Hall and they trade some other guys, 
it's not a guarantee that all of a sudden the following season they're going to suddenly become a playoff team. If anything, they're going to be even further in the hole because we're all going to be going, okay, the Devils got rid of Taylor Hall. Who's the next Taylor Hall on this team? Well, let me also say they're more equipped to handle a life without Taylor Hall than they were, I don't know, three months ago? True. But at the same time, you still have a gaping hole at left wing. And not only a gaping hole in terms of a positional standpoint, in terms of a role standpoint, but a former NHL MVP. Right. This is not exactly a guy that you just you just look at the free agency market and go, eh, you know, we think Gustav Nyquist can do this. Like, don't get me wrong. I like Gustav Nyquist, but he ain't on Hall's level. Right. No, that's no one's ever arguing that. So, again, that's just our take on it. Of course, everyone's going to have different slants right. to this. We're, we're open to any sort of discussion about something like this. But yeah. I think our consensus is keep them on for now. Take a look at the at American Thanksgiving because, you know, there's also Canadian Thanksgiving to consider. Check back in at the deadline, see how the team's doing. And at that point, if it's clear one way or another direction-wise, do it. Go ahead with it. And if he doesn't sign, then just move him. Just rip the Band-Aid off. Let's make it happen. The contract that we might see out of him could be you know, not as much to your liking and to some of the fans' liking, but it's something that is important to lock down this center of the team this nucleus of the team and while andy green's the captain hall is very much first of all he wore the assistant captain or associate captaincy that's a fun fact right there a few times and he played a great role in the leadership he's someone that single-handedly almost dragged them into the playoffs two years ago so yes it would be very very tough to lose him i hope that's not what happens all right, at this point, we're going to take a quick break to hear a word from some of our sponsors. And on the other end of the break, we'll answer some more questions for you. So we'll be right back. Welcome back, everyone. Thanks for listening through those. We have some other questions that came from the post where we posted podcast episode number one. And uh, Eliash Still Rock, shout out to you for giving us 16 pretty good questions all at once oh, you've thanks back, yeah you've backlogged our entire repository of questions for the next few episodes so we'll address a few of these now we're I not think, doing all 16 no we're definitely going to keep some of these in the bank for later but a few of these now one i'd like to talk about is his question about hughes starting at 1c over nico and i get it i get where it's coming from they're not that far apart in age and you can make the argument and a lot of people i mean everyone will agree that jack hughes is the better prospect coming in if nico could handle duties as a first line center in his first year then why can't jack hughes and the the simple answer in my head is that nico is already an established 1c there's no reason for jack hughes to play the first line yet there's no rush whatsoever if nico can hold it down he has good chemistry with hall and palmary and hall and brat I don't see any reason for the Devils to rush Hughes' development by putting him against all the harder matchups. Not only that, but since the Devils will not play all their games at home, Hughes is going to get a lot of tough matchups on the road. Expect, expect the away teams, the, I'm sorry, the away games, where the opposition is going to look at Jack Hughes and go, all right, kid, you're in the NHL now. Let's see what you can do. And he's going to see a lot of Nicholas Backstrom and Patrice Bergeron and Steve Stamkos and, you know, so on and so forth. 
So there's no shame in being the second line center on this team. For the first time in quite some time, there are two legitimate top offensive lines at forward. And most of all, things can change. There's no rule that says if you're the number one C coming out of camp or out of preseason that you're going to stay there for the rest of the season. If Jack Hughes turns out to be the man, like from day one, then make the switch later. Or you could play around in the middle of the game. Like That's what the Pittsburgh Penguins do with Sidney Crosby and Jenny Malkin. It's one of their strengths, the fact that they can make a change on the fly to say, all right, we need a goal. Let's put our two aces together. Simple as. So John Hines has some options, but I agree with you, Dan. Right now, you already know what you have. Stick with that until you, you find out if Jack Hughes really can be a 1C right away. And that's another question that rolls in. He asked about Gusev potentially playing on the right-hand side with Hall and Nico. And while I think that may be something that we see as the season goes on, this comes back to that same discussion of why break up something that was already working. Hall, Heischer, Paul, Mary were one of the best statistical lines in the league last year when everyone was healthy. It was it was a line that dominated possession. They got tons of looks throughout the game. They... I think, well, Nico didn't play the power play, but Hall and Palmieri were great on there too. So it's something that they have an established formula for this already. Gusev's coming in and he's changing the ice surface that he plays on. Give him time to acclimate before you give him those kinds of responsibilities. Well, the question, the reason why the question was asked is because Gusev is a right-handed shot. Mm -hmm. However, Gusev has always played left wing in the KHL. And I'm a big believer that, yes, different ice surface, different style of hockey. He's also not a young guy either. Like, he's 27. He's already an established professional. To that end, if he's been a left wing his whole career, keep him at left wing. This isn't that difficult. I mean, don't get me wrong. Like, if injuries happen and if the decision is, do I want Wayne Simmons flying next to Taylor Hall and Nico Heischer or do I want Nikita Gusev? You can you can then you can explore that option and try it out for a couple shifts and see if it works. But if the guy was a top tier KHL scorer as a left winger and Vegas was willing to burn the ELC for him to let him practice for a game or two in April as a left winger, keep him at left wing. I, I think it's overthinking it to consider him as a right winger at this point. Yeah, and it doesn't preclude these combinations from happening, but to start the season why not keep the established order together? There's yeah, there was one bright spot on the team, and that was this line when they were rolling. So there's no need to fiddle with that formula. Instead, let the new guys form a chemistry together, since they'll be together at least for the next two years. Uh, speaking about Hughes, Gusev, and whoever is on the opposite side, whether it be Brat, Palmieri, or even Simmons, if they need to. Yeah, some. Keep it simple. Uh, Keeping with the theme of questions tangentially related to or directly related to Nico Heischer, why didn't anyone see Elias Pettersson as a legitimate first overall pick option? And is he indeed better than Nico or is he simply having a good run of luck? I don't think you can call what Pettersson did luck, but I also don't believe in retroactive drafting. And if Nico and Nolan Patrick were the top two prospects on literally everyone's board, I don't think the Devils made the wrong decision by taking Nico. He 
offers something that Pedersen does not from a checking perspective, from a penalty killing, defensively responsible perspective. And while it's not as flashy as scoring a bunch of goals, which, again, would also be really cool, Nico, he is coming on to his own. Let's not forget that the guy is 20 years old, so he has so much time to grow into this role of 1C, and he's been tasked he's been tasked with something that's not easy to do and play the first line center for a team. That's not, that wasn't very good behind him. He has the burden, less the responsibility. Now Pedersen basically took on everything last year because Vancouver was again, not very good, but they still had a bester. They had people who could also put the puck in the net. So he's playing with a lot more freedom and a lot less need to get back defensively. The thing about these sorts of discussions, and I agree, doing retroactive drafts is sort of an exercise in futility. I mean, anything can be done in hindsight. You know, we could we could have easily said a decade ago, how come nobody picked Zach Parisi in the top five in 2003? How come he slipped all the way to 17? Um, yes, he, he probably should have been, but so what? He didn't. It didn't happen. Right. Uh, in terms of why didn't anyone see Elias Peterson as a legitimate first overall pick option? The big thing was back in 2017, you're absolutely right. The discussion was solely Nico or Nolan. And if you wanted to be a crazy off-the-board guy, you would have suggested Miro Heskainen, the defenseman out of Finland. Right. Uh, Patterson was seen as this flashy scorer. And don't get me wrong, he may turn out to be the most offensive, proli- offensively prolific player in the draft you could argue that he might be the most talented player in the draft however we're less than three seasons after that draft has happened most of the guys in that draft have not even received an elc much less have played any years on it and to your to your point nico is a first line center before the age of 21 like that's pretty impressive on its own i don't think if you redid the 2017 draft right now that nico would somehow be 12th overall and you know just slumming it with florida or something like that like he would still be a very high pick i think nolan patrick would be the guy who would fall really out of favor since since coming into the league he's been you know he's he's been a guy he's he's been a guy for philadelphia he, he's a guy who gets injured he's a guy that he's just a guy like there's nothing really notable about him but that 2017 draft was just in retrospect a bit odd just because the consensus guy for a while was a guy with serious injury problems. The guy that rose up to take him was a guy that nobody was talking about until he blew up at the World Junior Championships with Switzerland that winter. And then everybody realized, oh, the guy from Halifax is really good. And uh, Heskinen, you know, for all we know, Heskinen may truly be the most valuable player out of that draft class just because he's already a defensive stud, you know, just like Nico is already a number one center. So. Well, they're, they're talking about Kale Maker. Let's not forget that he went fourth oh, that Maker. year. Oh, and He completely forgot about Kale Maker. He went all, all fourth right. that year, and he's being talked about as a potential Calder Trophy candidate this year. So we have yet to see the fruits yeah. of that draft, and I don't exactly. have any regrets from the yeah. Devils taking Nico first overall. I don't think they have no. any regrets. He fits right into the mold of the type of player they want on the team from a personality perspective, from a workmanship perspective. There should be no 
looking back and saying, ah, I wish we would have picked this guy because Nico's our guy. He's he's fit into the mold of what they're trying to create here. And again, that fits into another one of his questions. Why didn't the Devils choose the better player, Nolan Patrick, at first overall? Well, he said it sarcastically. So right. And it's not a real question. Using the sarcasm font. And again, that's a question that people were asking at the time. It's hard to tell, but Shiro and, the, and Hines had their reasons we're seeing it pay off now, and while there may be people that had better seasons than him last year, I don't think it's unfair. I don't think it's fair to not say that he's a serviceable number one overall. There have been much, much worse first overalls, and of course there have been better ones, but he's still 20. He still has plenty of potential to grow. The same question relates to should we have taken Capo Caco? I don't know. No one knows, but we'll find I out, know. I guess. No. <laughs> No the answer one. is no. <laughs> I, I, we've explained this before. Well, actually, no, we haven't. I've said this on some other place that I've said this is, oh, is the fact go. that Jack Hughes literally broke every record you possibly could with the U.S. National Developmental Team and on what is arguably the most talented U.S. NTDP team in recent memory. Like this is like, don't get me wrong. Kako is great. He may turn out to be a great player, but passing up a guy like Jack Hughes for Kako in this case would be you know, it would be defendable, but you would sit there and wonder, why would you not take the guy who broke all the records on one of the most talented teams in front in its program's history? I think there was a lot of concern about Nico versus Nolan purely because the Flyers were getting the other one, and in this case, the Rangers got him, so it led to even more concern. I think if someone that wasn't the Rangers had the whoever it was between Hughes and Kako, Devils fans would be less concerned. That That's right, just that, my interpretation of it, and it's yeah, natural that, but, because it's the rival. Well, it, it's natural, but it was also manufactured. It wasn't real. Like, back in 2017, there were scouting articles, places like McKean's, Future Considerations, ISS, and so forth, where the debate was legitimate. You go read 30 mock drafts, and by the time the draft rolled around, most of them were leaning Nico, but there were quite a few... People not, and I'm not just saying you know guys off the internet that you've never heard of guys like me. I'm talking about people who scout players for a living and follow these players. And some of them were saying, "No, Nolan was the best player. He's the total package. He was fantastic in junior." And reasons A, B, and C. There was a legitimate debate then. This in 2019, all the mock drafts were saying Jack Hughes, Jack Hughes, Jack Hughes, followed by Kako, Kako, Kako. There was no, there, no, nobody was willing to put their name on an article or a mock draft or anything that said that Capo Caco is going to be better than Jack Hughes. Whereas in 2017, there were people that saying Nolan Patrick's better than Nico Heischer. Right. And yeah, again, this is too early to tell any of this yet, but yeah. let's, let's hold off on the, Oh man, we made the wrong choice takes. Let's yeah, they, see they how they even play. played yet. <laughs> they also don't play the same position. It's not an analogous pick. It isn't. It totally isn't. Relax, everyone out there. It's going to be okay. I promise. It'll be just fine. Jack Hughes is probably going to be incredible, and you'll love him. (laughs) And even if it's not fine, it will not affect your personal life. So it's it's all going to be okay. Correct. You're not losing money out of this. You know, Josh Josh Harris and David Blitzer might, but we ain't them. Right. (laughs) Um, Yeah, I mean, that kind of brings me to an end of the questions just for today because we've done a lot of talk about the number ones obviously we haven't gone too far into jack hughes but a lot of 
questions about Nico, less concerns than there are obviously about Hall. But this slogan of we are the ones, they're counting on these guys. There's a reason they were drafted number one overall each. They're counting on these guys to be the centerpieces of this team. Obviously, they don't have to be the only ones, but it is cool to see them emphasizing that, yeah, these are our guys. These are the best players of that year. Let's see what they can do all together. And I, I love that idea. Granted, it didn't work out in Edmonton, but nothing really does. So I'm not as afraid of putting them all together here, especially if they can create that kind of culture that the Devils seem to be cultivating these days. Well, it remains to be seen because for as much as the culture sounds nice and the marketing sounds nice and all all, all that, you know, and I hate to sound like a Debbie Downer here, but we're talking about a team that has made the playoffs exactly once, and that playoff run lasted five games. Like, let's let's pump the brakes on you know how amazing everything is just yet. You know, there there needs to be some results to help justify that. I do agree that it's the right move to build the team around the Halls, the Heishers, the Hugheses, as well as, and even though they weren't first overall picks, but the Will Butchers, the Damon Seversons, and even role players to a degree like Blake Coleman and Okay, he's not much of a role player. You kind of hope he's more than that. But even Pavel Zaka, who remains unsigned. The reality is that as the Devils are deeper in talent, it's not just deeper. It's also younger. And out of all the guys I just mentioned, Hall is the only one that's over the age of 26. All these guys I just mentioned, even Severson, he's 25. This is a core that will last for several years, provided that guys get re-signed. And I just realized that Blake Coleman's 27, but... You, you get my point here. Right. Is that this is not a team that is relying on got all the guys in their prime to be in their prime and be amazing. And if it's not now, then it's not going to happen in three years. Like, even if things don't happen immediately, things will be fine or hopefully fine or at least in a position to become fine in one or two more years. Yeah, and you're giving Ty Smith the shaft again, too, but he's very much a member of that same core. He needs to make the team first. <laughs> All the other guys I also mentioned are on the team. Like, notice that Jack, if you want another reason why Jack Hughes is special, notice that he never committed to a college. He never committed to a major junior team. He never committed to a European team. It was just understood and assumed he's going to be in the NHL right away. And everyone's just like, yeah, of course he is. Why wouldn't he be? Well, like, by, by virtue of it, when's the last time a first overall pick didn't directly play in the NHL? Eric Johnson. Eric Johnson. He he came out of the USNTDP program, and I believe he played a year in college before joining the Colorado Avalanche. And Eric Johnson has had a good career. Okay, he's not dominant. You know, you could argue that maybe if you redid that year's draft, he wouldn't be first overall. But he's had a solid career. That, that one year didn't kill his... Uh, his potential for growth. Right, but my, my main point was that it's very rare nowadays that a first overall oh, yeah. pick wouldn't immediately just step into the league. There was oh, oh, not yeah, much concern yeah. about that, really. Oh, oh, definitely, yeah. And and not even just at first overall. Like, if you're picking in the top, I would say the top 10, and maybe even top 15, you start looking at guys and going, look, if he's ready to play now, we'll, we'll worry about, we'll, the ELC will be the next GM's uh, worry in like seven years. Right. You know, if this guy has game now, go forth and let him play. And we see it with not just, you know, Nico, we saw or Nolan and Miro Hiskainen, but you also see it, you know, every once in a while with a second rounder like Patrice Bergeron. 
I know I'm dating myself with that. That goes all the way back to 2003. But the point is still the same, is that if a guy's got game, he's going to go in right away. And Jack Hughes is on that level, as opposed to Ty Smith, who I think will have a very fine career in New Jersey. And I hope he turns out to be a very good defenseman. He could, he may have to be the Andy Green replacement, so I better hope he's a great defenseman. <laughs> but he has not made the team yet. Whereas Jack Hughes, lock it. He's on the team. True. No, you know, not invalid. My my main angle would be if you're counting Butcher as part of that core, you might as well count Smith. But I see where you're coming from. Well, yeah, but I mean, Butcher Butcher has been remarkably productive for a defenseman coming right out of college. He's such already, a bad team, too. Well, remember, the Devils made the playoffs in his first season. Right. But even even still this year, he wasn't, you know, he wasn't an empty space out there. No, he wasn't. He was arguably the team's best defenseman. Um He's very he's much better than people give him credit for. I understand he's not a big guy. He doesn't throw his body around, but that's not what defense is all about. I mean, don't get me wrong. I love Scott Stevens, too. But Scott, <laughs> if you thought Scott Stevens, all he did was throw a bunch of hits. Then you need to rewatch some Scott Stevens. He did a little bit more than that. It's like saying a linebacker. Well, a linebacker doesn't throw a big hit isn't a good linebacker. Not so. It's all about the coverages. It's all about the reads. It's all about the directions. It's all about a lot of subtle stuff that doesn't appear on the score sheet. And more importantly, isn't so easy to discern unless you're really paying attention to what they're doing on the ice. Fair. Fair enough points. Uh, just one other question I wanted to address today, just because uh, it was relatively simple before we get to our board battle and our one sentence about Devil's History this week. Question here was, would or have you addressed to us uh, drink or have drank? The tense is weird on that one. Pickle juice. And this is a hearty yes from me, and someone mentions it later. Actually, user Skydiving Devil mentions it. The best time to have pickle juice, I agree entirely, is after a shot of whiskey. It's called a pickleback. If you haven't tried it, just trust me. It's awesome. And if you live around the New York area, there's this bar called the Belfry, which gives you different types of pickle juice, from sour to sweet to spicy. Definitely check it out. It's really cool. It neutralizes the taste. And you know what? I really like salty things. So, yes, pickle juice is a yes for me. Use it to replenish those electrolytes, Blake Coleman. You go. I've eaten pickles before, so I guess by definition I've had it. Because let's be real. Who would want to eat a dry pickle? <laughs> like, that would be so in a, you know so unappetizing. I'm having trouble imagining that. Yeah, it, it would be like eating, like... A rotten potato chip almost. <laughs> so I guess by definition, I have in that sense. Have I gone out of my way to get a jar? Because I feel like pickle juice needs to be drank, drank, drinking, what, sipped. There, I'll go with sipped here. Imbibed. Out of a mason jar or something like that. You know, I don't feel like you pour a normal glass of pickle juice, but hey, you do whatever. You know, I ain't your parents. Uh, <laughs> no, I wouldn't go out of my way to do that. But I guess since I've had pickles before, I've, I'm I don't hate pickles. There, there, there's me punting the question. <laughs> well, there you go. So yeah, I, I mean, I'd say we half endorse pickle juice as a concept <laughs> as a podcast. So there, there's the official answer on that. You can quote us, and you can take that to the bank. So our one line of this week in Devil's history that I chose to isolate because 
Shocker to no one, this week is also really boring, but instead of having three nonsense contracts to talk about, I only picked one. And this is a shout-out to a devil of years past. Peter Harold signed a one-year deal on August 12, 2011. And uh, you laugh, but he was a defenseman that played in the Stanley Cup final. So thank you for your service, Peter Harold. He wasn't that bad. I love he how was, the sentence just ended He there. wasn't that bad. <laughs> I'll leave it at that. I feel like that's appropriate for Peter Harold. Somewhere a man named Tom is going, he's much better than that. <laughs> that's an inside joke. You know, don't worry about that. No, that's totally fair. And uh, yeah, that's just really the one sentence I want to get in. So, John, you want to bring us to your hot topic of the day, the board battle? I requested in the post for board battles. Basically, you give me your hot takes, your controversial opinions, and I pick the very best ones. And nobody really formally gave me one, but a snowboarding for snow snowboarding is life. I'm assuming it's snowboarding. It's S N W B D G. You can figure out some other vowels to throw in there. Just gave me a big list of things, uh, topics that you'd be interested in, and some of it I figured would be perfect. So we'll give you an example, and hopefully, all of you out there give me your interesting opinions and takes such as is it time to give up hopes on Artus Gavris the answer is yeah <laughs> he ain't coming but it's a larger point to say that for those older European picks they never leave the reserve list like they're there for life I think it's only a recent change to the CBA or something some other change I, I don't know if it's in the CBA where you don't have rights indefinitely held for European players so no longer can you say oh we got a guy on the reserve list and it turns out to be that seventh rounder from 2004 that <laughs> has been taken in Finland for seven years and you wonder okay Ilka Pikarin is a fun name to say but he's not very good at the hockey at least not in the NHL but yeah Gavris ain't coming but that would be that would be the sort of level here we're not looking for the hard questions like you know do you think Taylor Hall is going to be traded or not this is more of a have you seen a picture of a dog in a truck? And the answer is yes. I have seen pictures of dogs in trucks. I've seen pictures of dogs in vans. I've seen pictures of dogs in cars with a little sign saying, don't call the police. There's The AC is on and the dog has water and is listening to its favorite radio station. <laughs> yeah, so these questions, we're not looking for questions about the starters, questions about the first players off the bench or even the black aces we're looking for the double black diamond aces here we're looking for people that you've heard of only in passing but someone's been checking in on them so we'll do our best to find you the answer and also to kind of debate their place in the organization and and one more i'm going to pull from him sure Given the New Jersey's cap situation for 2021 and the presence of Pavel Zaka, Mikhail Maltsev, and Michael McLeod, is Zajac a luxury the Devils won't be able to afford? See, that's more of an offbeat question. Like, that would not be a question we would spend 30 minutes discussing and debating. It would be like, unfortunately, the answer might be, yeah. (laughs) I mean, Zajac's going to be out of contract. You know, he's been a very good soldier for the team. But in a world where Zaka may be a better penalty killer than him now... McLeod might have a future, perhaps, and Mikhail Maltsev has a name. These are possibilities you have to consider. It would be interesting to consider Travis Zajac a cap casualty because a lot of people complain about his contract. And yeah, it's not the best right now. But again, Zajac represents that voice that kind of keeps the locker room together he's someone but that is that worth 5.75 million dollars definitely not it's and not keep worth in mind, 5. he's 7. gonna be 35 so whatever the next contract's gonna be guess what you can't bury that cap hit i think he's the kind of guy who would be willing to take a pay cut 
Yeah, well, I'm sure his agent might advise him of that. Right, for sure. And yeah, this is somewhere where if you think he's his contract is overvalued right now, maybe there's someone else closer to him that thinks that the same thing and thinks that he might have gotten away with something here. So I love the man. I think he's been great for Jersey's team, but that far down the line, there may not be a place for him. And they may, that may not be the worst thing in the world. He'll probably go the way of Andy Green will in... I guess a year or two next season, his contract. This is his last year under contract. Wow. That'll be weird. That'll definitely be weird. Go Ty Smith. <laughs> and with that, uh, anything else you want to cover today or uh, what do you think? Should we put a bow on it? One last thing is that tomorrow or yesterday, depending on when everybody hears this, the top 25 devils under 25 list, the votes will be completed. The survey will be closed. I want to thank everybody who voted in this year's iteration of the top 25 under 25. Brian Franken will release the results. It's going to be a very long list for that first post because there are 47 devils under the age of 25 in the system that are (laughs) under some type of contract or just been drafted or the rights are still held. So that outsiders list is going to be huge. And then from there, we're going to see who's going to be Who's made the list? Because there have been some high profit departures at either due to age, like Damon Severson, or guys like Steve Santini, Jeremy Davies, uh, John Quenville, where they were dealt in this offseason. They were all dealt on the same day. Well, that's three guys that would have been locks for the top 25. So that means next man up, who, who do you all think it's going to be? So I'm always looking interested and looking forward to these uh, opinions from the other writers and the people such as yourselves, dear listeners, that have voted for the top 25. So I just wanted to point out that that's happening this week. We're going to compile all the votes, and we're going to start releasing the results next week. So thank you all for voting. Yeah, and speaking of dear listeners, if you guys have suggestions for topics, keep it coming. Obviously, we didn't cover everything that you guys wrote in, and it was great. We really loved seeing the response to the first podcast, and we'll go onward and upward with uh, some changes we'll make to it you know some some glamorizing as we get more accustomed to the whole process but for any suggestions be sure to either tweet at our individual links which i'll include in the post about it or at aat jersey blog that's where we'll be reading some suggestions as well so again thank you for listening thank you for writing in and we hope to hear more from you guys next week and hopefully um you know, if you have responses to any of the points we made, we'd love to read those as well. So, like I said, uh, that kind of wraps us up for this time. Enjoy the rest of your day or night or whenever you're listening to this. And thanks again. <laughs>